Hey, hey, everybody. If you're listening to this, you are listening to the first free hour of this episode of The Shift with Doug McKinty. If you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing to the show in order to access the full feature-length versions of the podcast, as well as have access to the members' forum, where we discuss potential topics and interviews and dive deep into the overall concept of The Shift. For only six bucks a month, not only do you get the full-length episodes, but also an opportunity to co-create with me, your host, Doug McKinty, the future of the show. Go to www.theshiftnow.com or patreon.com backslash the shift and sign up today in order to help make the shift possible. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning, noon, or night, wherever and whenever you are listening, you are listening to The Shift. I'm your host. My name is Doug McKinty. This episode was recorded on March 16th, 2022. Today on the program, I welcome Andrew Schlatterman, whose work translating alternative media from German to English has provided much-needed European perspectives to the English-speaking world. In particular, Schlatterman's translation of Prostitutes Embedded in the Pay of the CIA, written by prominent German journalist Dr. Udo Ulfkott, delivers insights into the world of professional corporate journalism and the internal corruption that defines its narratives, with a clarity so far left uncovered by English-speaking writers. Ulfkott, now deceased, worked for decades at the prestigious daily German newspaper, the FAZ, eventually promoted to assistant editor. Over time, he came to realize the profound extent to which billionaire foundations, think tanks, intelligence agencies, and other foreign political organizations such as NATO and the U.S. Marshall Fund had on the narratives presented to the German people. In his book, he describes a kind of soft corruption that had become so endemic and normalized throughout corporate media circles that it was hardly noticed. Private funding from these organizations of lavish trips to allied countries, think tank seminars, compensation for speeches and prestigious awards given to all those providing positive coverage, utilizing the preferred narrative, are all examples of how corporate journalists are implicitly encouraged to provide information from a perspective amenable to upper-class interests. Even contacts with intelligence agencies providing anonymous or undisclosed sources are encouraged. Refusal to promote these preferred narratives in favor of real investigative journalism equates to career death as access to these prestigious institutions is a requirement for success. We often hear that there is no way all journalists are engaged in some grand conspiracy to cover up important information that provides an alternative viewpoint. Many observe the plethora of corporate media outlets and conclude that competition must encourage truth-telling. Ulfkott reveals the grand conspiracy is nothing more than a corporate culture consumed by a drive for prestige only afforded those who play the propaganda game. Independent perspectives are relegated to the annals of conspiracy theory and shoved down a rabbit hole so deep they will never see the light of day. Enjoy this conversation with translator Andrew Schlatterman, where we discuss Ulfkott's work and place it inside the larger picture of a worldview outside the mainstream narrative. Our discussion will also touch on Andrew's other work, including translations about the German New Medicine movement and other alternative perspectives from a distinctly European point of view. You can find all of his translations by searching for Andrew Schlatterman on Amazon or going to www.thelearnedowl.com. If you like what you're hearing, please like, subscribe, and share this episode throughout your social media network. 
We rely on listeners like you for distribution of this alternative information. For more about The Shift, sign up for the newsletter or subscribe for feature-length versions of the show. Go to www.theshiftnow.com. Become part of the conversation by friending Doug McKenty on Facebook or following at McKenty on Twitter. I want to thank translator Andrew Schlatterman for agreeing to this interview, and thank you for helping to make the shift. Hey, everybody, and welcome. This is the 113th episode of The Shift. I'm joined today by translator Andrew Schlatterman. I promised him I wouldn't butcher his name. (laughs) Uh, And he has been uh, a translator of uh, various books uh, in German. I'll let him uh, explain a little bit about his history, but we've got a book for you today entitled Prostitutes uh, Embedded in the Pay of the CIA, which was written by Udo Olfkate. I think I got that right, too, uh, who had been a, a prominent member in the German uh, media for, for decades uh, before kind of having an epiphany about exactly the kind of work that he was doing. And I've been really interested in uh, delving into this concept because here in the United States, we're so inundated with propaganda, really corporate propaganda. How else can you look at it? Um but how does this operate and where does this come from? And interestingly, uh, I don't think there's a book that's this precise in the English language, uh, but this German journalist took the time to describe how it works in Germany. I think it works very similarly here. Uh, and you'll see just how much control really ultimately, I think the upper classes have in, in terms of the messaging that really everyone gets from the mainstream media across the Western world. So thank you so much for joining me today, Andrew. You just want to spend the first couple of minutes introducing yourself and yourself as a translator. Give us a little bit uh, of the history of uh, Mr. Ulfgate. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, Yeah, I, uh, with my German sounding last name that everybody butchers, (laughs) in uh, about 2004, uh, decided, or before that, actually, but by 2004, I was ready to get out of the United States. I wasn't in agreement with the war on terror. Uh, everyone was calling me American Taliban, even in Chicago, a very liberal city. Uh, when I said that the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan were illegal, people would want to fight with me, literally. <laughs> right. It's it's kind of, uh, I don't know, when you get into that cognitive dissonance, they have a territorial yeah, reaction, and it's like you're attacking their personality. Right. So I'd had enough, and got married, left with another German-American woman. We both went to Germany, uh, wound two up two years in the Czech Republic, and then uh, moved to Augsburg, where we had been uh, teaching for a while. That all didn't end so well. Had kind of a ugly divorce and got through that situation. But in the situation where I'd been preparing myself to work kind of more independently from home, I'd had troubles with the global warming situation. I told the kids that you have to learn the ice hockey curve for the test, but it has nothing to do with science or reality. Uh, They didn't really (laughs) like that at the international school where I was working there. So uh, I started to take my own path and look for my own work and find interesting titles to translate and still make partially a living that way. And so I started out well, with some interesting work. Uh, one of the most interesting that you'd probably be interested in is uh, uh, a book by Christoph Klein, 
He's an inventor of an asthma inhaler that has actually been under injunction by, by the state of Bavaria and therefore then the EU for the last 25 years. Uh, and it just is something that you can actually straight down. So it saves about 50 to 60% of the medication that would then get lost in an L-shaped curve and then in your throat area when it has to do another 90 degree curve into your mouth. Uh, the European Parliament looked into it in 2012 and found that it has wasted in uh, contributions to insurance companies over 50 billion euros since its inception and since its ban. So, I mean, just incredible amounts of corruption. And then I try and balance it out with uh, some alternative medicine and some spirituality. So I'm not mm -hmm. constantly dealing with corruption. <laughs> right. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> nasty <laughs> all the time. So, yeah, you got to keep a balance there. And then Olfkot, if you wanted me to go right into that, yeah, uh, definitely. He had been at the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, so the FAS, uh, one of the, basically the newspaper of record, the New York Times of Germany. Okay. And he uh, had been doing foreign policy and uh, got straight from the get-go, was kind of recruited out of college to get into their foreign, foreign policy editorial uh, section. And spent a lot of time as a war correspondent. He was in the Middle East and North Africa, Africa, uh, yeah, East Asia, and, or no, sorry, West Asia, and uh, had really just played the game, had vacations to Oman and got all the luxurious perks and conferences on the Lake Como in Italy and basically everything you could wish for as a journalist, as long as you toe the line and say what you're told to say, often just putting his name on reports that were written for him, for the newspaper to be inserted. And <clears throat> after a while, it came down to him uh, being approached by political rivals of a SPD politician, one of the parties in Germany, there's five or six major ones, uh, one of the two big ones, <clears throat> to basically spy on one of the political, uh, a, large, a high political officer in one of the German states through doing like a lifestyle report on his wife. And he was like, this is just going too far. And he'd also had then a heart attack, if not two already at that time. And he said, what am I doing this for? Uh, this is killing me. Originally, he was had been in Iraq, had been exposed to poison gas, uh, had cancer, and had survived that. So had gone through some major health problems through his life. And then after a series of heart attacks started, he was like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm killing myself. I'm selling out my country. I'm selling out the people of the world. And I got to start laying the facts on the table and setting the record straight. And like you said, an epiphany. Yeah. And, and then he started writing a series of books uh, starting after about 2001 or two, probably the war on terror and the trade center attacks affected him as well. And about book a year he put out after that, 
uh, or more scathing than the last. He was really uh, against a lot of the policies, the mainstream policies of the German government with regard to just unlimited immigration and kind of the introduction of the euro, the uh, uh, membership in the EU and the eastward expansion of the EU and the eastward expansion of NATO, uh, basically opening up the floodgates and basically ruining Germany. And that he thought all of those things were, if not wrong in principle, and wrong in the way that they were being laid out at the expense of the German people themselves. So that's kind of Udo Olkotte in a nutshell right. from and myself in a similar time frame, although he was <laughs> a lot more influential than I was. So, although I'm trying to make up for that now. All right. Well, the interesting thing about uh, uh, Udo, as you say, he basically works for the New York Times in the, the German version of the New York Times. And he's been working in this uh, for, for these guys for about two decades, right? And then a few other a few other institutions on top of that. So he's he's well within the, the system, what he calls the, the alpha journalist system uh, in Germany, one of the top journalists on the scene. And I think the first thing that struck me as I was reading the book was how normalized well, I guess we should first talk about the types of corruption, because you know what you get when you talk to people about uh, about the mainstream media. They always say, well, you know, not all the journalists can be in on on the conspiracy. You know, there's some conspiracy to propagandize us with this these certain messages. And they, they have to believe. I think a lot of people really believe that, you know, all of these journalists can't be involved in, in this system, uh, and they're they're truly doing some kind of investigative journalism, and and they're they're seeking the truth. I mean, you know, especially here in the United States, I think people really really have a strong belief that that's how uh, the media works. But um, what what Ufkate describes is a kind of a subtle form of manipulation, but multiple subtle forms of manipulation that over the course of a of a career, it's it become so normalized in the whole industry that people are really heavily affected. And even though they don't really know that they've been affected, um, will you speak about the the just the sort of the general corruption and how normalized it seems uh, in the German press? And again, I think this can easily translate uh, to how it works all over the Western world. Well, there's essentially a system of perks. Uh, and rewards that you know you're rewarded for your good behavior or you are sacked if you don't follow the line so a lot of them definitely want to have the rewards and the the ways that they can make money on the side he goes through several different ways they can make money on the side but uh and also the, the the prestige level like you can see uh through the lists of the organizations that these prominent journalists uh are involved with he can pretty much map out which organizations are dictating the terms which ones are at the top where the top journalists are invited to they're given a five-star hotel all inclusive with the food and drinks the finest things and and you know you get that once a year if you're just a little journalist or twice a year or 
maybe even up to once a month or even those people just are attracted to that kind of a, a lifestyle. They like hobnobbing with those people. And then when you are in bed with them, you can't really say anything bad about them. So right. the big question he asks is how can people be involved in these organizations? Because you see a lot of top journalists, for example, as a chapter on the Bilderbergs at the end, it's like, you never hear any reporting from that, yet you have top journalists all invited to that. So is that where they're getting their marching orders? Is it the Munich Security Conference in some of the side rooms where they're talking? Is it the uh, Council on Foreign Relations? Right. Is it the Atlantic Brücke or any of these other transatlantic organizations? And it also uh, orders coming down from NATO, you could say. Uh, a lot of the times they're just as the, the press office for NATO, the EU, and these people can also then get speaking engagements on the side and uh, make a lot of money speaking to corporate organizations or other organizations. So the higher you go, the opportunity for milking the cash cow just gets greater and greater and so everyone toes the line in german they call it the the scissors in your head here we would call it self-censorship right so, but uh, they learn to what to say and what not to say and then just it, it functions almost automatically yeah, it's just so wild. I, I mean, one of the things that I think he was actually getting across in the book is about how uh, the United States has just unbelievable influence through the same organizations, basically, that we have in the United States here. We have the Atlantic Council, which is also part of the German well, yeah. Marshall Fund. Uh, well, yeah. Those guys were behind a lot of the, the narrative uh, around Russiagate. Uh, I'm sure they're still active, of course, in what's going on. But I, I mean, I was tracking them uh, in terms of the media here, and they were the principal source for a lot of all that was going on in terms of Russian collusion and Russian disinformation and all of that. And uh, the, the book was published in 2014, and uh, he was writing this obviously before then. And uh, he still has a chapter on Russia and how Russia is demonized and how yeah. they're pushing to the east the inclusion of Bulgaria and Romania to cut off that side of the Black Sea. And then now they're moving further up right on the border. So the current events, it's no surprise when when you're familiar with their goals. Well, but that, it's not reported in the media, right? Right. I mean, that's what's been so fascinating <laughs> to me, even about the the current situation in the Ukraine, is that the media—it's just amazing what they omit, and then people don't know this whole other half of the story. And now, if you say it, it's called Russian propaganda or Russian right. disinformation, and it's like, wow, you know, how can the media have this much power? Um, and it, like, again, just to. Because the book was written in Germany, what's amazing to me is to see how much, you know, it's the European Council on Foreign Relations, but completely connected with the American Council on Foreign Relations, which is how our journalism uh, is impacted. Actually the same organization with different branches. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. And it, it shows a lot um, about how much the United States still has influence in Germany as so many years after the war. I mean, he, he, I think even used the term occupation forces at one point, And it was like, 
yeah, I mean, is German is Germany really even that independent if all of its media is, as you said, pro NATO? Uh, if the marching orders are coming from the the U.S. based Council on Foreign Relations, and all of these things are coming from, you know, the German Marshall Fund, which is U.S. based. <laughs> but I don't think it's essentially uh, an American led organization. I think it's an internationalist globalist. Sure. Because when you get down to it. NATO is the upper level mm. to the American military in this regard. Uh, they're trying to put everybody under this umbrella, like uh, getting Germany subordinated to the EU and to the Euro. But once again, like Billy Bragg uh, sang the UK, the 51st state of, the, uh, of America, you could consider Germany like the 52nd state of America. Right. They're, yeah, tied. I don't know. It's like a three-legged race, and yeah. they got the the two legs tied together. So, well, and then you have to imagine the quantity of funding that's coming from from these organizations, and that's how these organizations have this influence. He also discussed in the book, like the Rockefeller Foundation. I mean, the same foundations, right. the same organizations, and what would happen as a journalist is he gets invited to a conference. You know, maybe he wins a prestigious prize. Uh, or he gets paid to give a speech, but then they hook him up at the five-star hotel and he can take, you know, hop on the helicopter to go over across to the island where the Rockefeller Foundation, I mean, it's you're living the life if you choose definitely to just look the other way. I mean, it was amazing. And, and this is what I think makes it so subtle for people. And actually, as I was reading it, it was funny because I realized like, of course, this is how it works, right? I mean, of course, it's all corrupted. Do you really think that all these journalists are out there, tr truth seekers, you know, willing to sacrifice their lives and their career to get the truth out to the people? I mean, none of these they, they found that. ways around that as well with the uh, uh, the war correspondence, where they're always carrying around <laughs> jerry cans full of gasoline, right. so that they can get get some footage from uh, the local militias for extra money for cigarettes and alcohol and then uh, pour some gas on something and let it burn behind them and say, well, I'm right here in the middle of it with machine gun fire from friendly guys just firing it off in the background so it sounds good. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, lots of different techniques to make the job safer, more cushy, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and then they're definitely getting the perks. The other thing I wanted to go into, I mean, so we've got, it seemed like it, when his descriptions, well, I think he said that he was approached directly, actually, eventually by intelligence agencies, but also that certainly within this think tank, private foundation purview, there was a lot of intelligence uh, action going on, too. So that's when you really well, they start work to as go-betweens mm -hmm. often. And uh, if you're working as a foreign journalist uh, outside of Germany, I imagine the same thing goes for the United States. Mm -hmm. You are essentially uh, an operative. And if you look at the Project Mockingbird and how they released, what was that, the church report? Well, I'm not sure what it was back in the, uh, how these people are essentially liaisons, if not paid, but not paid directly, obviously paid in perks, uh, working for the intelligence services so he has the chapter where he talks about how he was on that uh, german dairy farm in sudan uh in the adjacent property to where osama, osama bin laden was uh in 
uh, Sudan at that time. And it was being run by the Israeli Mossad. So, I mean, they, they had their eyes on him. The Americans sharing that information had their eyes on him. It's like no secret what he was doing the whole time. And then they paint him out to be the boogeyman after that. So, right. Yeah. It's, it's you wonder, you wonder if those people are, are being, you know, also manipulated and, and kind of steered uh, without themselves even knowing it by just, you know, giving them options and limiting options and kind of like the way AI does to us with our browsing habits and, and sure. Trying, trying to get us to do what they want us to do by influencing our range of choices and things like that. Well, uh, that's what, what was so fascinating about it is that the behavior had become so normalized that, that these perks were just part of the job. Uh, journalists, if you were, uh, uh, you know, a journalist uh, that was um, uh, going to write about uh, certain cars that were coming out, then the companies would give you free cars to drive around uh, to test drive you know, whenever you wanted to. And, uh, and he opens the book with the chapter about his trip to Oman for the Sultan of Oman, where it was just a full paid five-star hotel. Everything got billed back to the hotel room. Uh, as long as the only uh, thing you couldn't write was that he is a dictator and he ruled with an iron fist. That's right. Otherwise it was a fantastic (laughs) vacation. Yeah. What a great gig (laughs) with lovely beaches and snorkeling and, yeah, you couldn't you couldn't go better if you're a German flying there. It's only a couple hour flight from from Germany. Why not? Just don't don't pay attention to the suffering people under the dictatorship behind the fence. Yeah, but I mean we see the same thing in the United States with uh, uh, destinations in Central and South America. And, I mean. You can really apply it almost one to one. I'm just surprised nobody's done it already. Um, yeah, and wrote the bot journalist's book for the Anglo Western media. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's a, such a taboo topic to talk about. I, I think that's again like you know people think it 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 can't be some kind of grand conspiracy, but it's just like it's just normalized Very corruption. Soft. Everybody knows what's going on and everybody knows that if they, if they make a stink about it, then they're going to lose their job, you know? And so it's like, of course, nobody says anything and, and everybody get just... hassled because then he started getting uh, searched by the police, the federal police. Right. And they started trying to make his life hell. Uh, but at the end of his life, I all don't think, that my uh, biography of him is included in there. But if you go to uh, Amazon and do the look in the book, I think you can read the biography at the end of it. At the end of his life, he was pretty much living very secluded uh, on a really rehabilitation farm for animals. He would take like work animals in that were past their working lives. Mm-hmm. And they call it a Gnadenhof in German. But uh, yeah, I mean, we actually moved into an area here in Ohio now that's uh, got one right behind us. We're looking forward to going and seeing the animals, but really just a, a nice guy. And then public enemy number one. Uh, the other thing is that they'll mention on the news, Udo Wolfcott was you know, raided by the police today for uh, suspicion of giving state secrets uh, to whoever. Uh, but then the charges are always immediately dropped, but they never apologize on the news. So they never say he was cleared of those charges. That's just another way to slander, soft slander somebody 
without saying anything. And then he said, well, look at the way my neighbors look at me. What the federal police are coming in commando is kind of like, uh, what was that Roger Stone, the last one where they have frogmen in the water out behind his house. Right. Just ridiculous. You know, you get that, you get that happening to you, but then nobody says, oh, all the charges were dropped because there was no sure. to any of them. I mean, a lot of men like me are dealing with that in a divorce. I got shell-shocked with uh, the bailiff and the police, and then a year later, oh, okay, there's no charges. Oh, well, you don't have anything left? Mm, sucks be to you. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> Some people I would say, I don't know. I don't, it's just, it's it's been kind of rough. And then this last year now, uh, it just got too hot to handle in Germany. So yeah. my my German wife and I got married again the year before. We figured this looks like it's getting bad. We better be able to go wherever we want together and not have them be able to separate us. So we did get married, both uh, divorced one time, once bitten, twice shy. So we were together for about seven years and then uh, not married and said, okay, well, let's do this. Who knows what's going to happen? Right. And I was working teaching still part-time. Uh, she's been a nurse and working in the intensive care unit uh, off and on in, in the in, intermediate care and the, the various ICUs. And it got to the point where we weren't allowed into work without either testing every day or getting the jab. So right. I had a lot of overtime because I was the only person that wasn't sick at that school where I was working. So I was at home then for about a month before we even got started. And she got to the point where I'm not going to do the testing under supervision every day just to come into work. And so she said, let's get out of here. Yeah. And and we December or early December, we booked a flight within a week. She sold off everything she could and we left. And then getting into the United States was tough because you have to have proof of vaccination. So we don't know how much I want to say on this time. Right. <laughs> but we went to a well, yeah, it's difficult. We went to a different country and we got that proof of vaccination. It took seven weeks, and then we flew into the United States and then uh, getting started here, brand new. But working with friends, uh, alternative health. I apologize. It's okay. Uh, family of six kids. Someone needs ice from the machine right now. Okay, thank you. I'll be done in a little while. Uh, well, where was it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's let's uh, let's just get back to the book because I think. Um, you know, just getting back to the similarities between the the kind of, um, I mean, certainly this whole coronavirus thing was a was a, a huge propaganda exercise As in and well. of itself, uh, and that's getting to be worldwide. And I think because we have this very similar experience, we have these think tanks that can really control what's going on in the press. They give all kinds of perks. Uh, these private foundations with unlimited funding that can help these guys out. The other thing that I thought was really interesting, I, I wanted to tell you, I actually had a, a a friend of mine 
that I was interested in. Uh, he was a local journalist where I lived, and I was interested in comparing and contrasting different media sources with him because it was about the same time where we started getting a lot of this fake news, disinformation, these kinds of memes coming all over the American press. And uh, I would send him a few of my independent media sources and be like, what do you think about this? You know, why is it crazy conspiracy theory in your mind? And uh, and then he would simply kept repeating back to me, well, they don't, you know, these guys haven't won any like Pulitzer Prizes. So I won't listen to them. I'm going to listen to the Washington Post. And so it just really struck me when I was reading in the book and the prostitutes book about how they also, I mean, it's these same organizations that then give the prizes to the guys that tow the line and, the and spew the propaganda. And it's amazing the how, best. how yeah. powerful that's been, right? Yeah. So that's a sure way of, of getting yourself a nice pat on the back, cash prize, uh, whatever else goes along with it. Yeah. Uh, self-congratulating. Uh, <laughs> it, it's right. I mean, it, for those who are suspect, it, it, the book will make total sense. Yeah. And for those who are critical, it, it will definitely open up their eyes. But uh, for those of us who know, it's kind of like, yeah, that's a no-brainer. It's just right. Why didn't Why didn't I think of that, or why didn't I write that? If I were into journalism more, I would probably want to write something about that for the U.S. and just do an analysis. It would be relatively sure. easy, but I, I've got my specialties and I stick to those. So. Yeah, I mean, clearly, it, it, when you read the book, it, it becomes so obvious that this is how the press is so easily swayed in the corporate press. I mean, the the perks are uh, all over the place, again, as long as you toe the line. The uh, and then the ties with uh, the think tanks, the the wealthiest, most funded think tanks, um, and then the intelligence agencies. Uh, it just all boils down to like an abject corruption of the entire journalistic scene, and it is so obvious when you're reading the book. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I've I've actually spent. I mean, I spent a lot of time comparing and contrasting news sources and trying to figure out, you know, which ones had the best primary source material and which ones were creating a, a narrative that made sense out of the primary source material. And uh, when you read this book, you realize you I didn't have to do all of that. <laughs> you know, it was it's so clear that these guys are part of this money stream. And so they say what the guys with the money want them to say, and it's that simple. The cheap level, I think you could compare it these days to the Instagram influencers. I saw that some shops, like in California or wherever, uh, will have a sign on the door that says, no freebies for Instagram influencers, because they come in and expect to get stuff for free just so that they can take a selfie with a product or something like that right. on their channel. Sure. And every third person is trying to be an Instagram influencer these days and just get those freebies uh, like the journalists of you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago would be doing when they showed up for a review or anything sure. like that. So. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it was. Uh, um, he gets a lot into how uh, real journalism is basically conflated with public relations. Yeah. And that's actually how it really it's been outsourced. 
these days now. Also to public relations firms, like we saw from, uh, uh, what was it, Hill and Knowlton for the Iraqi incubator or the Kuwaiti incubator babies. and Sure. And you wonder what they're doing right now with this current situation in the Ukraine. Well, you know, I mean, I, I've had people, uh, like if you follow the maternity ward thing, the, oh, the Russians have bombed the maternity ward and you find out, well, that thing's been empty for weeks, you know, and, uh, but the mainstream press doesn't mention that. <laughs> and so they're still pulling the same tricks. It's just over and over again. Um, because people- Russia obviously has a great interest in committing war crimes so right. that they'll look, look like uh, evil barbarians. <laughs> that, that's number one priority. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I yeah, heard... I actually heard one American colonel describing that the, uh, I mean, they could have come into Ukraine with shock and awe, like the Americans did to Iraq. And instead, they've actually been doing this very slow, uh, methodical incursion in order to minimize civilian casualties. Surgical. And they're going, they're going after the military installations, which of course have been built up by the U S and NATO over the last five years. So it's like, but you don't hear that in the press. They're not even giving that. Um, And I think that's how you got to know the red flags uh, is just that when you're not really given even the other side of the, of the argument, you, you know, instead the other side is just demonized. Um, and this is happening more and more and more, and it's just shutting down all conversation. Like you're not allowed to have a different opinion, uh, than somebody else without being accused of being Russian propagandist, you know? (laughs) Although are you seeing more and more people waking up? I know that we probably got a filter where we are among friends who are aware of things and, and have a pretty balanced view of what's going on. Do you see, I mean, I hope it's a generational thing. Uh, in the process of getting back here, I spent some time in my parents' home and uh-huh. my mother. Uh, my father is starting to suffer from dementia, so he's a, a lot of work. And my mom has the radio on or the TV news on all the time. She said, oh, I just like to hear someone who makes sense when they talk. Because my dad's, you know, looking for his marbles all day long. He's sure. Lost, he's lost them all over. And uh, I think it was similar to that before. And it's just that that's her comfort. And then I can't even begin to say anything contrary to the narrative where my mother will take it as an identity conflict and really right. uh, react angrily towards me as if I had been like, you know, attacking her physically. So I, I just learned very quickly to leave well enough alone, not say anything, try and avoid uh, having to listen to that because then it's the pharmaceutical commercials. In between, in between everything, it's like every five minutes you get pharmaceutical commercials, and it's like side effects could be death, kidney failure. Yeah, yeah. And and you're like, how can you? How can you not yourself see? to that all day long? Right, and how can you not see that the commercials? are paying for the news. So as the well. news isn't going to say anything bad about the pharmaceutical companies ever. No, as no? Well. <laughs> I mean, that's just it. I mean, it, it is a big PR industry and that's really all that it is. And people just need, you just need to, it, it really, it's about, it's about just being able to wake up and see. I mean, when I, when I read the book, the prostitutes book, it was like, oh yeah, of course, 
this is how it works. Like there was, there's no doubt. Uh, and it's just been, it's been normalized. It really is a psychological thing. That's what was so interesting about Ufkote because he, you know, he worked in it for decades thinking this is just how the business is. And I'm a successful person. I'm an alpha journalist in this scene and I've made it in my career until one day it was just like the veil gets pushed aside and he can just see it for what it is. And the thing is corrupt through and through. There's no actual policy discussions between two sides unless they're within you know, a certain window of being allowed to discuss things. Uh, and you've got to push ultimately the American line or the NATO line or the Bilderberg line. Um, I mean, it was really interesting to hear him talk about the Euro because as an American, you know, that was, that's not a big thing over here. That wasn't something that we had to deal with, but the push that it must have taken for these guys, these upper class elite guys to push the the European countries into not just into the EU, but to start using the European currency must have been huge. And he just talks about it as as complete propaganda paid for by the government. Even I mean, they barely even hide it when you when you look at it and they had to push and push and push because not a lot of Germans wanted to switch currencies. And so they anyone. Yeah, they had the strongest currency in Europe and it was the beginning of the end of the German economy. Yeah, because after that, although if you see how they're racing to inflate the currencies on both sides of the Atlantic, you saw points where the was one dollar sixty to the euro, and then the Europeans couldn't sell their things as easily to the big American market. Sure, and so it basically became a competition to see who could devalue their currency the fastest. And in Europe, it was. Oh, well, it's because of the Greeks. Or, oh, it's because of the Portuguese or the Italians or the Spanish. And so they're always pushing the blame on somebody. And meanwhile, they're just bleeding the German economy dry, bailing out all these countries for probably intentional mismanagement and yeah. corruption and siphoning off all of the money on the side. And it's it's getting bad. I mean... We talk about gas prices here. Uh, it's just got up over $4 in Ohio and some places over $5. It just got up over $10 a gallon in Germany. Wow. And that's then a nighttime Autobahn price, but probably around 9 It was around 6 getting up to 7 when we left. Right. And then now with this, because they do get a lot of their energy from Russia. And if they have to go with these sanctions, that's like suicide. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Where is it going to come from? Uh, yeah. The the wind and the solar. And it's ridiculous. Uh, I broke that down for my students, and I said, "What are you going to do? This only makes up like maybe fifteen percent, if that, of the total energy uh, demand uh, that's used on a daily basis. You're <laughs> you can't." Right shut off the nuclear power plants by 20 whatever you can't divest from coal and oil your country would stop functioning yeah and uh, the kids are like oh friday's for future let's you know shut it all down right now and you think to yourself right what are they teaching these kids it's just dysfunctional it's it's insane and nobody questions it yeah, for some reason it seems like that. 
I just heard an NPR. My mom was listening to the radio in the kitchen and somebody talking about, you know, how to make different dishes with bugs and stuff. And it, that's the next thing on the UN 2030 agenda is switching to like insect-based protein. It's just insane. <laughs> right. It's insane. I mean, I, I could understand how that might be useful at some point to a certain point, but just like doing a, a one overnight transition. Well, you know, once you can see it, you can't unsee it. It's like no. um, the NPR piece. If you're if you're in the know, you know that they're pushing this stuff, and then ah. you start to see it bubble in the in the mainstream every day, media, every and you're day. Like, oh, and then it trickles into our consciousness, and then you know when they want to implement it, they'll push it super hard. It'll be all over the news cycle for you know weeks or months. Uh, and then it'll and you disappear. have NPCs then just just spews out of their subconscious mind because it's then, yeah. then over and over and over and over again just browbeating people with this propaganda that yeah. that it becomes second nature to them. Well, that's so. What... That's yeah. The main reason why I stick to then some spiritual and some other topics because uh, sure. you can't deal with this stuff twenty four seven and you drive yourself crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's good to be prepared and to defend yourself intellectually, but at some point it it becomes overwhelming. Uh, reason I got interested in your podcast because you did the interview with the. Uh, producer the filmmaker of the the terrain mm -hmm. theory and i had been uh translating a little bit for uh dr stefan lanka as well before that and then was following up on all the information i could get on that and uh yeah it's it's hard to find now so many people out there trying to share the truth but without the huge marketing budgets and with Without the international bankers behind us, right? Yeah, it's it, you gotta yeah, gotta do your work and get out there and find those things. So, well, you, thanks, you know, thanks to you for getting out the word as far as you can. Yeah, you bet. I mean, we do what we can, right? But uh, you know, another thing that I find fascinating is how people are influenced by the production value. Like these guys. It looks flashy. It looks great. Uh, they must be telling me the truth. You know, <laughs> like, no, they have to make it look flashy because they are lying to you. And if they don't, then you won't fall for it. You know, I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think it's the biggest problem that we're having in the world today is the fact that way too many people. It's almost interesting to me. I guess maybe it's the same way in Germany, in the Western world, where people truly believe that, the, that they have some kind of a free press and that they're getting the truth um, from, from this press to the point where, as you describe, it causes this cognitive dissonance if they, don't, if they hear something else. Well, if, if something else is true, then it would have been on my news show. It would have been on my NPR. So if they don't say it on NPR, it can't be true. And, and they just can't get past that. And it's like, then to try to convince them that, you know, this whole thing has been funded. I mean, you can look at the people who fund NPR. It's all the same private foundations that we've been talking about. I mean, it's, the, right. you know, it's like you can just look at it, like just like you can watch the commercials in between the CNN spots and go. That's why they don't say anything bad about the Pfizer vaccine. Right. Because. Mm -hmm. They're getting millions of dollars from Pfizer. They're not going to say anything. And uh, it just amazes me that people can't put two and two together. Um, it, it seems like almost like in China or for that matter, even in this in Russia, 
people don't trust the news that much. They know it's propaganda, you know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and it's fascinating. Yeah, it was interesting to see the difference between the East Germans and the West Germans when it came uh, to Corona, and then also this Ukraine situation because. The East Germans were like, we've been through this before. Right. That's interesting, actually. That's interesting. Why are you going along with this? Yeah. This is the wrong way, and it ended badly. And everyone's like, hey, yeah, this is what we got to do. And they are so organized and so, uh, you'd say, beholden to authority. I don't know. I think maybe it's uh, a morphic resonance that the, the Germanic people have in that, in that regard. Mm-hmm. But they definitely need a, a rubber stamp on everything that they do. They need permission for everything. Uh, the thought of American-style freedoms is, is practically foreign. Uh, being a sovereign individual with inalienable rights. Uh, right. And, and that's trying to erode that here, too, as well. You need a permit to do this and a permit to do that. And it's basically buying your rights back from the government. Yeah. Uh, well, you had an episode on that more recently. I haven't had a chance to catch up very much, getting up to speed here. So doing some construction and some landscaping just right. to get started. Well, that was the thing for me about the coronavirus situation was how much I realized how few people in the United States any longer really care about individual rights, because clearly the foundational right is that you, you know, you have the right to choose what you put into your own body. Uh, and the fact that anyone would be behind a, a mandate of a medical uh, procedure of any kind, you know, anything that's that intrusive without thinking to themselves that a human being has the right to choose whether or not they want that medical procedure. I mean, that's crossing a huge line. And yet Americans that, didn't even have a conversation about that. Like the reason that like, my last three translations were to get the most prominent uh, Corona critical information out in a summary form, because you're allowed to summarize like nonfiction, as long as you don't make it too uh, detailed. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've been doing summary translations of uh, Dr. Sukharit Bhakti and mm-hmm. uh, Wolfgang Vodark, and then uh, the uh, Lanka and Ursula Stoll book. Uh, but they had a problem with that, so they made me take it down. So hopefully we'll get to some arrangement in the near future. But uh, there are voices out there that are critical. There are very reputable doctors who are speaking out against it and so i just wanted to make that information available in a summary form and publish it for independently for a really low price just so that if anyone was interested in that obviously not very many but it's also then a search function because you got to know that amazon is probably limiting these things unless you're doing a specific and i don't have an advertising budget i don't have a marketing budget so just among the people that I'm in contact with on social media, I don't spend a lot of time promoting myself. So, yeah, I'm not doing this to make money. That's what you can Well, I hear that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it does make you feel good and you sleep well at night because you're, you're, you're doing your part. Yeah. We all have got our part to do, so... Well, why don't you go in a little bit more in detail about the difference between East and West Germany? Because uh, it is actually kind of fascinating to me to think that the the Westerners, they have this concept of themselves that I, I'm more and more, I mean, I 
fell prey to it too, being raised here in the United States where you you really believe that you have freedom of the press and you believe that you have these individual rights. And even as they take them away from you, you, you just can't imagine that now, like how far away are we from a, a Chinese system? I mean, not actually very far. I, we probably have a very similar internet censorship or social media censorship type system that they, I mean, I, I believe that these guys, Google and Facebook, you know, they tested these things out in China and then they moved them here. I mean, they're just, they're just moving this stuff here and people aren't complaining about it. I mean, you know, they're, they're going with it. And much like as Ufkate describes in Germany, the mainstream media can literally just, you know, it, it, uh, they used to call it, I think the grand Wolitzer, they can just blast it out and everybody kind of absorbs this information and it becomes the minority view or the majority view, or even if it doesn't become the majority view, people believe it's the majority view, right? I mean, that's another yeah. thing that's kind of interesting. It was interesting to me about coronavirus. Like how many people really are are falling for all of this? How many people want this? Is it even a majority? But you hear it all over the news. And how many people base their decisions and behaviors on what they think others think? Yeah. Well, that's Even, the powerful tool here, right? That's the powerful tool. Because Germany was still supermarkets with the masks. I just saw an announcement from uh, Ivanger, the economics minister of Bavaria, who said the children will be able to take their masks off in schools from starting in March and then through April 4th will be the last day that uh, some of the grade levels, they're going by different grade levels. And it's just like... right. How does that make sense? Um, right. And well, uh, and the, so the East and West German divide, it's just the, the German, East Germans live through communism. And they know what it's like. Yeah. And, and they don't want to do it. Even if capitalism has its faults, uh, they want to be able to choose to do what they want to do. And so you see a lot of uh, demonizing of East Germans as what they call Reichsburgers would be like your neo-Nazis where, where they're basically just people who are like libertarians. Right. And you see that here as well with uh, every organization, like around the December or January 6th thing, whatever happened there that it, will come out in time i'm sure but uh if you are against the government and you are uh for freedom and individual responsibility you are a neo-nazi yeah although not an azov battalion neo-nazi that's a different story right and uh so they went from being they called it dark germany as a as a, a, a slander, uh, Deutschland, the Eastern Germans, kind of like the ones who were left back in time. Because getting East Germany integrated into West Germany was a huge burden, but then they opened up East Germany to kind of soft economic exploitation or investment. So I uh, had friends who had invested in like shop fronts and real estate, and you get government subsidies to support those kind of properties uh-huh. and uh, other people who bought forests in Brandenburg and things like that. So they basically got sold out. I know in other Eastern European countries, like the Czech Republic, for example, where I lived for a couple of years, 
they didn't allow any foreign ownership of anything unless it was like from a corporation that had a check as the CEO. So they would have been swallowed up by Germany and Austria immediately had they allowed that. Hmm. Uh, East Germany basically did get swallowed up by, by Germans. So it wasn't kind of a, a international situation. It was sure. Internal national situation. But the, still, East Germans left by the droves. And now a lot of that's being filled up by refugees and immigrants uh, that don't even speak German. Uh, if you look at the reports from schools in Berlin and stuff like that, it's like a, a war zone. Uh, and then Ulfkotti also, in some of his later books, uh, talked about that. And he also published an internal map of flashpoints in Germany and where they're expecting like riots and civil unrest from these huge minority population centers, not because it's inherently the way these people are in a racist way, but it's just like when you are invited to a country and then all you get is like a welfare check, you're going to be unsatisfied with your life. And if, if you can't integrate quickly and you kind of build like a pocket, then you see lots of, of organized crime and from <laughs> stuff to the big or old stuff, like with, uh, you know, they say the Italian mafia and the Russians. and But if you look at it, you also have then like an American organized crime syndicate that's operating above board with all the money. Yeah. <laughs> that you could see in the media and the way that the country itself is being steered. So, I mean, it all functions from higher levels down to lower levels. And you have your good guys that are doing the white collar crime and your bad guys who are doing the blue collar crime. And they've got their scapegoats. Uh, my wife, in fact, uh, is East, East German. She, as soon as she got a chance to go study, she did her nurse training uh, in northern Bavaria, in like the whole area, I think it was. And then went down and did her uh, residency, like internship at, in oh, down in the southeast with that Eagle's Nest area. I forget what it's called at the moment. Uh, mm. That, that really nice part that you see from the movies and then uh and then into the augsburg area uh also you know western germany bavaria and now the hospitals can't even keep up uh if they're not closing them they're bringing in people from romania from bulgaria from italy uh to to meet demand because i was surprised when she told me, because I finally asked her, you know, how much money do you make? And she told me, and, and I was like, that's not much more than like a waiter or a waitress. Or something. Oh, wow. And so they really do the dirty work and uh, hardly make any money. But she does it out of passion and out of her her need or want, her desire to help other people. But then as I got talking with her and my uh, information that I have on alternative medicine and, and the way the pharmaceutical industry operates, she, she kept thinking, am I really helping people? Right. Am I, am I doing the right thing here? Am I just basically doing the dirty work for, you know, the pharma industry and, and cleaning up their mess? So, yeah, there's shifts all through Europe. 
east to west and then you see how nato has expanded and a lot of people are sharing that meme now lately uh nato promised not to expand to russia and now they're on their doorstep i mean the fact that russia didn't do anything or respond when the baltic countries joined estonia latvia and lithuania that are just minutes away from uh, saint petersburg just shows you how restrained they've been how how patient they've been and and this was just the red line too far yeah you are listening to this you are listening to the first free hour of the shift with doug mckinty for access to the full feature-length versions of the podcast go to www.theshiftnow.com and subscribe for the audio version for just six dollars a month Access the full-length episodes in video form through rockfin.com by subscribing at the Shift with Doug McKenty landing page. For $9.99 a month, you gain access not only to the Shift, but also all other premium content material hosted on the platform. Find out more at www.theshiftnow.com backslash store. Detoxify your body, decolonize your mind, make the shift. I want to let people know... Uh where they can get a hold of of your material well if you have my name posted there otherwise it's much easier if you say alt de as one word or two words like alternative german so a l t d e mm-hmm. you can see on amazon my book list uh, a lot of these are published independently so either you could follow the book and then look it up as to the publisher, obviously, that's always a better way to um, order a book. Uh, my sister owns a bookstore in uh, Hudson, Ohio. You can go to thelearnedowl.com and order books from her, and she'll ship them out to you. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you can see my book list on Amazon. That's got some corruption, some conspiracy, and some alternative healing and, and ways to look at your body. That are interesting, and the other one is the uh, psychic roots of diseases. It, it's been updated a couple of times since the one published version, and the author kind of had some problems with that publisher. So it's best to go to free-new-medicine.com and download it for free uh, in the electronic form. So PDF. All right, sounds good. We'll do. And uh, I'll let people know that you've been listening to The Shift. I'm your host, Doug McKinty. You can find all of my stuff up at www.theshiftnow.com. I've been writing uh, a new blog on Substack called The Populist Papers, so you can check out my written stuff there. Uh, And you can find me at Doug McKinty on Facebook and at D McKinty on Twitter. I'm also on a lot of other social media sites, but those two are the ones that I check the most often. So uh, thanks a lot, Andrew, for coming on, and, and thanks for the translating work that you're doing and helping to get the work out, the word out there. The Prostitutes book was really eye-opening, and, and I think this concept of soft corruption is clutch. People need to understand that this is how so many people – it's almost like being in a dysfunctional relationship, right? The, the, the dysfunction has been so normalized that people don't – they kind of know if they talk about it, you know, it's not going to end well for them. So they just keep their mouths shut and they ride the waves and they get the prizes and the fame and the, and the wealth. And, but uh, it's not really working for humanity. It's working for this upper class. Um, hopefully more people will figure that out. Well, thank you for having me. And it's time for me to get back to work in the dirt for a couple of good small business owners that are 
happy to share their success. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Take care. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. My conversation with translator Andrew Schlatterman. Uh I was happy to have him on because I've been wanting to have this conversation. In fact, I've, I've kind of had the conversation with a few journalists in the past, but uh, this one uh, was the entire book, Prestitutes in the Pay of the CIA by the deceased uh, Udo Ulfkot really kind of took the cake. It did what I was looking for it to do, which is describe exactly how the mainstream media has become so corrupted and why it is so flooded with uh, propaganda narratives uh, that um, function for upper-class interests uh, and not really from the perspective of uh, what's good for the common person. Uh, I think that the story that was told about Germany, well, the interesting thing was that from uh, uh, Ulfgott's perspective, Germany was essentially an occupied country. He would look at these think tanks, the Trilateral Commission, the uh, European Council on Foreign Relations, uh, NATO, the Marshall Fund, which is a U.S. Marshall Fund left over from World War II. All of these, in fact, the same think tanks. We have the Atlantic Council here in the United States and the same other think tanks uh, here in the United States. The Atlantic Council is connected to the Marshall Fund. So these same people here in the United States doing the same thing to the journalists here. So um, I thought it was interesting to be able to, to check out his work and see how the system functions in Germany and really discovered that it's the same system that works here in the United States. So I think that there's quite a bit of, of crossover information in terms of this book and the German situation in the mainstream media and what goes on here in the United States um, with things like our Pulitzer Prizes, with things like making speeches at these prestigious think tanks. And again, often exactly the same. Uh, there were stories in Prestitutes about the Rockefeller Foundation being active in Germany and inviting journalists to big conferences and paying these journalists to stay in the five-star hotels and taking them to the you know lavish conference rooms and paying them to make a speech in front of all of these dignitaries. And it seems like... Um, it seems like there's so much of this soft corruption going on that l lends to the prestige uh, of the journalist, um, and they don't even really think about it. It's just the way the system is. It's uh, it's an endemic part of the corporate culture. And this is, as those of you who've listened to a lot of this show uh, understand, I mean, I just basically call it the, the corporate government complex that's been driving colonization really for the last, uh, you know, four or five hundred years since the colonial days when the first transnational corporations were born out of the feudal system. Um but we're seeing how this corporate culture has simply been corrupted to the bone. And, and everyone who interacts with it, this corporate government system, it's like um, there's this soft corruption again that happens throughout the entire uh, throughout the entire system. So, it, you know, I, I, I've been curious about this question because everybody always says, well, not all the journalists are in on it. 
You know, there can't be some grand conspiracy. You're just a crazy conspiracy theorist because not every journalist at the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or uh, the Washington Post or NPR, you know, they're not all part of some grand scheme to push propaganda on the American people. These are journalists, hardworking people. They're doing their job and their job is to do investigative journalism. They have editors that double check their work and make sure that they're telling the truth and the American people always get the truth, right? Uh, that's, uh, that's the common perception of how uh, modern media works here in the United States. And the truth is, as Wolfcott reveals in Prestitutes, that behind the scenes there's just a corporate culture that is intimately connected to upper-class wealth, upper-class and political and they're all intertwined, the corporate government complex, uh, this kind of wealth that allows for these guys to, you know, take trips, get get paid tens of thousands of dollars for speeches, go to prestigious universities, make speeches, uh, hobnob with presidents and prime ministers and premiers from all over the world. Um, you know, they're given trips to foreign countries to uh, to theoretically. Uh, report on what it's like in, in these other countries, but they're paid for by the emir or, or the prince or the king. or uh, And of course, uh, positive coverage is simply expected out of the deal. And if you don't give positive coverage, if you don't give the narrative that is being presented by the Council on Foreign Relations uh, or NATO or uh, these prestigious organizations, the Rockefeller Foundation, uh, if you decide to disagree, then uh, you're simply not going to keep your job, and everybody understands that. You know, every it's it's implicit in the whole scene, and it's just that most people go along to get along. And when your boss and your boss's boss and everybody up on you know the higher ups on the ladder uh, are going along and uh, making this happen, and they're excited when you get invited to these. Uh, to these think tanks to make a speech and they're excited when you earn a Pulitzer Prize for reporting the narrative that you've been told you need to report, right? Um, then it just becomes this endemic, and I like the way he put it, soft corruption throughout the entire system, part of the culture, and it goes unnoticed, but it has a profound influence on uh, the narrative that gets told throughout the corporate media and the corporate press. There's also um, the interactions with the intelligence agencies, which his story along those lines uh, was were really interesting. He would talk with the German intelligence. He had his connection, as journalists do, right? And when you get your connection to the intelligence agency, it's considered a you know a, a big chip on your shoulder. Like you're doing a you're doing a great job. Your boss, you get a promotion, you get a raise, you got the inside line on on the intelligence agencies, and these guys are feeding you information, but you're not asked to verify their sources. These are anonymous officials within intelligence agencies just feeding you information that you're allowed to blindly take and present to the public as truth. Uh, he goes into detail about his own experiences doing this, and then suddenly realizing that, like, these guys could just be planting information. Like, none of it is verified. None of it is potentially true. And I'll tell you, uh, I can't tell you how many articles I've seen in the Washington Post where the one source was an anonymous CIA agent. 
And that article became the source for the New York Times article and the USA Today article and the CNN article and the Newsweek article and the NBC article and the CBS article. And it all came from, uh, you know, this, this uh, intel- anonymous intelligence agency source. And, and Ufkot, Ufkot goes into how that works. And when you're the reporter that has that inside track, then you get the promotion, you get the raise. Uh, and nobody asks you to verify the source material. So this is how the intelligence game is played. And this is how propaganda gets spread. Um, the notion that there are thousands and thousands of hardworking journalists at all of these newspapers and and uh, media corporate media outlets across the globe that are that are true truth seekers and uh, are all virtuous actors in this great game of democracy they uh, represent the fourth estate to make sure that the government stays clean and that corporations aren't screwing us. Um, that is just not the case. That is a false reality. The truth of it is that corporate media is, in fact, uh, engaged in essentially this soft corporate, uh, soft, soft corruption system where it's not blatant, it's not overt. Uh, they're not just passing bribes back and forth, really. Uh, to tell and telling people, you know, hey, I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars if you, uh, if you present my narrative as the truth. Um, but I think so much of it just has to do with that human desire to be close to power. You know, journalists just think they're cool when they get access. Uh, I think this was something that Thomas Hobbes wrote about in the Leviathan that it's just human nature to want to be close to power. And so, you know, Hobbes took it to this level where. All of our relationships have to be power. This is just the way it is. This is the state of nature. Uh, I like to think that human beings can be uh, authentically, emotionally con- connected and have compassion. Uh, but so many are willing to sacrifice uh, morality and virtuous behavior, that search for truth, that, that real quest that we want in our independent, in our journalism, right, in our fourth estate. Uh, so many are willing to sacrifice that for you know two hundred thousand dollars a year and uh, or more some of them are making way more than that uh and the fame that comes along with being a you know a, a top-notch alpha journalist as ulf kant describes them uh and being able to hobnob with the with the uh, other wealthy and powerful politicians so uh, I, th- I hope this conversation gave you insight into how that world worked, and I certainly recommend checking out the book, Prestitutes in the Pay of the CIA. Uh, it was also just interesting talking to Andrew because, you know, he has actually sacrificed a lot out of his own life. He could be making great money as a German translator, and he's chosen to... Uh, to translate a lot of this alternative media, which uh, has put him in a bit of a bind, just like uh, so many of us um, who have an alternative perspective to the corporate uh, the corporate narrative, and uh, we get relegated to certain corners of the internet where we try to express our own truths. Um, but we're you know it's we're, it's an uphill battle, and Andrew's fighting it. So I was happy to have him on. He's got multiple other books. You can find him at Amazon at Amazon.com backslash Andrew Schlatterman. 
Uh, he's got a lot of books, uh, multiple books from from the German, uh, and he talks a lot about this uh, German new medicine movement, which I hadn't really been super familiar with, but uh, another alternative medicine modality that he was pretty excited about, and uh, so I wanted to take the time to promote that. Again, if you go to Amazon.com backslash Andrew Schlatterman, you'll be able to find all of his work there and check it out. So thanks, everybody, for watching this one. Uh, you can find, as always, all of my stuff at www.theshiftnow.com. Sign up for the newsletter. Subscribe for the feature-length versions of each episode. I've also been writing a blog at The Populist Papers on Substack. So you can just look up Substack, The Populist Papers. You'll find it. Uh, you'll find everything there. It's also that information is uh, at the top of the homepage. So if you go to theshiftnow.com, you'll uh, find the link right there to the blog. Uh, and I basically generally tell people to go check out Doug McKenty. You can friend me on Facebook, Doug McKenty on Facebook. I am at D McKenty on Twitter. Uh, and you can find the ships with Doug McKenty on YouTube, Odyssey, and Rockfin. Uh, really promoting Rockfin these days because. Uh, that's the free speech platform that gets the most traction. So if you haven't, check out rockfin.com. You can find the ships with Doug McKenty there. All right, next week I'm going to talk with historian Jenny Kirby. Uh, another conversation that I've been wanting to have. Really what we're going to talk about is how to do good research. Uh, you know, in her case, it's good history research. But, um, you know, uh, when you're on the Internet and you're flooded with information and misinformation and propaganda everywhere, uh, how do you check those uh, primary, secondary, tertiary sources? How do you make sure that what you're looking up is uh, is actually a decent narrative, something that conforms to the truth as best we can figure it out sitting at home in front of our computers, right? <laughs> so thanks, everybody, for listening, uh, and I hope uh, that you'll catch the show again next week. All right, take care.